Welcome to episode 11 of Rank and Review, Werewolves. My name's Larry Parsons, I'm your host and random Canadian, and this week with my guest Lee Beckman, we're going to look at six films on the subject of lycanthropy. I should warn you outright that there's going to be some spoilers, and there's going to be some coarse language, but uh, I hope you enjoy it anyway. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Rank and Review. Okay, welcome to episode 11 of Rank and Review. Mm -hmm. um, this week my guest is my dear, dear friend, Mr. Lee Beckman. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Good evening, actually. <laughs> yes. Lee's one of the few people who has the same enthusiasm for the horror genre as I do. It's, it's true. It's a little <laughs> bit of a problem. <laughs> as we're speaking, the, the recorder is on top of copies of The Entity <laughs> and American Werewolf in London, which we will be talking about later. Absolutely. Um, Jacob Slider's also here. <laughs> uh we, we decided to do the topic of werewolves, which I know you have been a fan of for quite a long time. I love werewolf movies. What's the appeal of the werewolves? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, that's a very good question. I've always loved um, werewolf, just wolves in general. Even as a kid, I was fascinated with the images of wolves. But out of all the universal monsters, the wolfman always sort of struck a chord with me. And after I saw the wolfman, I did some research, and I, I saw the wolfman, my stepfather... Showed, showed me all the Universal Monster movies one summer. And I just was like completely enamored with the Wolfman. And I started researching uh, werewolf lore, if you will, and discovered that in almost every single European culture, they had, um, not urban legends, but I'd say myths. Some stories, variation on the werewolf. Uh, on, the, on the werewolf legend. And it usually had to do with explaining people that were had gone mad in the in the community, if you will. They yeah. were always different. And if they were different, then, you know, they were infected by, you know, werewolfism. Or, you know, in Métis culture, it was the, the Lugaru, if you will. Yeah. And I always sort of liked that. In a lot of werewolf you know, lore, stories, movies, um, the werewolf was usually sort of a tragic hero who gets infected, you know, by the, by the virus of... of of werewolfism, if you will, yeah. and I, I always was sort of attracted or, and sort of was drawn towards that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, one person's uh, history is another person's fairy tale, and vice versa. Yeah. Like um, what we now call bipolar 
would probably once upon a time been called possessed by the devil. Exactly. Right? No, exactly. Yeah, no. Um, um, what I like about it, he was saying that typically the protagonist is more or less an innocent victim. Like, uh, they change, they don't realize they're going to change, or they can't believe what's happening to them, yeah. and they have no control over themselves yeah. while they're the beast. Yeah. When the beast is unleashed, bad things happen. But yeah. when they wake up in the morning, they're themselves, and they want only to do good. Yeah, and they feel like really bad about what has happened. So. And it seems like the only solution that, that most movies will find for us is suicide for the werewolf. So it's a pretty bleak... Yeah, big picture. No, like like I said, out of all the sort of quote unquote universal monsters, like the vampires, they've accepted that they're just bad. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to go and suck all the blood. You know, the mummy, you know, they're going out for revenge usually. Um, you know, Frankenstein. I guess Frankenstein. You know, I guess it could be deemed also a tragic mm-hmm. hero because he was created and abandoned by his so-called I don't father. Know, I've never bought the tragic angle on Frankenstein, and really, all the English majors in the world are saying, "Really." Yeah. <laughs> The second your monster strangles a child, I stop feeling sorry for him. Yeah, but he doesn't know his own strength. Don't get me wrong. I mean, <laughs> you know, he crosses a line, but it, it's... I it's, think that, the, that Frankenstein, there are two monsters. There's yeah. the Frankenstein monster, and there's... Dr. Frankenstein, Frankenstein himself. himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with going back to the werewolf thing, yeah. uh, that some of the movies will touch on, is just sort of the animal inside ourselves. Yes. The, the, this untethered beast that if we let off the leash would just be this... Destructive force, but we all seem to be able to keep it in check. Right? Um, I found uh, when I was doing research a while ago, uh, when you first sort of proposed this idea, I went back to one of my American Lit class. Was it American Lit? No, it might have been Colonial Lit. And we were studying um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson, and he was talking about, you know, when that when he wrote that book, the world of science was obsessed with discovering, you know, what is evil. And the world of science at that time thought that evil was very much a physical entity that could be surgically removed from our body. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde opened up that door, but also at that point a lot of werewolf stories started to come out. Darwinism was huge at that point. Uh, And I think there's a great link between that, where, like you said, you've got this beast within that sort of comes out of you and makes you do a lot of bad things that, you know, the quote normal person wouldn't do, and then the next morning you wake up and kind of go, I think everybody's had mornings where they wake up with regret. Yes, yes, (laughs) some more than others. (laughs) This is putting it on a deeper level. Um, So let's, I'm going to just say the movies that we're going to look at today. Um, We have Dog Soldiers Mm -hmm. uh, from popular genre director Neil Marshall. I'm into that. Well, we have, from John Landis, uh, An American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Uh, I think a bona fide classic at this point. It is. It is really, I think, you know, I call it, you know, the grandfather or father of modern day werewolf movies, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to try and have some Canadian content, because yes. this is a Canadian podcast. Yes. So I have uh, the cult-respected Ginger Snaps. So good. Good times to be had yeah. there. Uh, from Joe Dante, director yeah. of Gremlins and yeah. Piranha. Uh, Piranha's awesome. <laughs> the Howling, yeah. uh, starring my 80s crush, D. Wallace. And I understand, I understand that crush, man. Like, E.T., I, is, it's, is it wrong to have an erection during E.T. watching that? Depends on what scene. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, we are doing a movie called Wolfen. Yes. Uh, from 1980, yes. I want to say. Um, with uh, Albert Finney. I think that's the one that's going to stand out for me as the most different of the group. Yes. And um, 
the last film we're going to discuss is called Silver Bullet, and it's based on a novella by Stephen King. Cycle and of the World. Are you ready to duck in? I say let's start with Big Bad Dog Soldiers. Let's do it. There are some places you really shouldn't go. Just shortly before we started recording, yes, uh, we screened. Well, I screened about the last hour of Dog Soldiers. With yeah, you. I wanted to brush up on it. It was the, <laughs> it was the last one I, I hadn't seen in a while. Um, this was the first film I saw from uh, director Neil Marshall, and it's coincidentally, I believe, his first film, at least uh, his first is. big film. It is. It's know. his first full-length feature film. Um, it's a very macho, uh, yes, fairly uh, re- inexpensively made, yes, efficiently made, yes, action werewolf horror movie <laughs> well it really it's it's really aliens and predator with werewolves i know it like the tagline says That's what it they say much. on the box yeah. yeah but i mean this film is like marinated in testosterone <laughs> uh, the fact that werewolves are in this movie i think is almost like a sidebar don't 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 get me wrong I, it's it's an awesome wonderful movie and it actually plays against a lot of the conventions with your stereotypical werewolf movies because there's no tragic hero with the werewolves. They're just these menacing creatures that attack this house consistently. There's no romanticism with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's different in that we don't typically, with a few exceptions, get to know the beasts, yeah. like the person behind the beasts yeah. in these movies. Yeah. This, is, this one is much more of a straight-up action horror movie. yeah no there's none of that with these um, things. to push the plot just a little bit um, yeah. uh, a British team of military blokes are running uh, some exercises in the uh, Scottish Highlands yeah and um, they encounter some bad beasties and they end do. up taking shelter in a, in a farmhouse and we get a kind of Night of the Living Deadish standoff with a lot of uh, doors pounding and nails being hammered and, I can see uh, that um what not uh, the, they're also you know just taking bits off of other horror movies that they like and squishing them in like you said the Predator one is a really apt one as far as the time spent getting to know these soldiers yeah. and the macho-ness yes. uh, between them <laughs> there's a lot uh, just the, the lingo and the you know the, the man love that just comes right to the edge of campy, but is also authentic, you know? It, it, it depends whether you can stomach the whole testosterone army type, type characters and lines. If you can, mm-hmm. if you enjoy that, then you will thoroughly enjoy Dog Soldiers. If you have a hard time dealing <laughs> with that sort of genre and, and that sort of kind of writing, then you will probably go not my cup of tea oh of course and yeah you know make no mistake this is a bit of a sausage party i believe we only have one female character in the entire film yeah and that's one of the things about dog soldiers that when i first saw it kind of stuck out is that especially with hollywood they really don't make these movies uh, anymore where it's an all at least all male cast or all female cast hollywood has a hard time doing that you know they've got at least have and there is one woman in here Mm -hmm. um but Hollywood has a hard time doing movies like that. Like, like the thing I don't think could never be made today because it is an all male cast. Um, well, I mean, 
I'm not saying it couldn't get made today, but I, I can imagine some studio guys spinning it. No, we got to have some women in there. Yeah. We got to work in a romantic angle. Yeah. I kind of like it when they isolate the sexes. I actually, you, you think mentioned the thing. I would bring up the descent. I think an interesting double feature actually would be yeah. the descent and the thing because one is all male, one is all female, which, which <laughs> and, uh, is kind of funny because. In Doug's Soldiers, I kind of got the impression that Marshall wasn't a big fan of women, especially what he does with the female character in this movie. But Absolutely. Then, Let's get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to mention the whole, yeah, like the Predator thing. Uh, in, in the film Predator, we follow a bunch of super soldiers, and uh, we spend a good half of the movie getting to know them. Yeah. Where I think Dog Soldiers takes that idea and gets it be- a little bit better. Really? I think that I think that these guys feel a little bit more real world to me, even with their sort of cheesiness. Yeah, you know. And I knew them and liked them fairly quickly. Yes. Uh, in Predator, we get a bunch of macho types. <laughs> like, uh, uh, way in in Dog top. Soldiers, we get a bunch of macho people. It's a subtle difference, but it's there. I think. I think the little bits about the soccer game help. Right. Uh, you know, you know, they're they're instead of watching the soccer on the telly, they're out doing at first a training exercise, and then they're thrown into a world of shit. Yeah, the central character, who's played by Kevin McKidd, who's known most famously from uh, Train Spotting. Yes, the, the movie starts with him trying out to get on the special force, forces, yes. uh, special ops, whatever it is, yeah. and failing because he refuses an order to shoot a dog. Yes. Um, and this failing in his character uh, does come into play again later on, not just because he's dealing with werewolves. He doesn't seem to have any problem shooting werewolves. No, no. Um, but his inability to make sacrifices and tough choices. Yes. And I think it's interesting that this flaw that uh, is uh, basically he's taunted for uh, by the, <laughs> yeah. the villain of the piece played by uh, Liam Cunningham, yeah. who was sort of the head of the... Uh, Special forces who uh, first rejected him and then put him in his platoon in, in harm's way deliberately. Yeah, uh, uh, he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong that Kevin McKidd makes mistakes as far as not being able to sacrifice people. Yeah. He will try to save people that he knows in his heart are dead. Yeah. He will try to you know keep someone who will turn into a werewolf around with the group as long as he possibly can. Yeah, uh, it's a real flaw in his character. And again, yeah. you didn't see any flaws in Dutch. In, no, in no, he, he is just this gigantic walking, to, you know, muscle testosterone machine. No, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I think, I, I want to call it Dog Soldiers better than Predator, because I love Predator as well, but mm-hmm. I will agree with you that... The, well, again, it's not Predator, yeah. but it took that element of yeah, Predator. That's true. And I think that single element, they might have got better. Yeah. I think if you put this movie next to Predator, I think Predator is... a better film overall yeah but predator had a lot of things that this movie did not yeah but most notably a huge, huge budget, budget. <laughs> yeah and what they do with a little budget in this movie is very impressive <laughs> one thing that i really liked about it yeah is because you've got a lot of men in rubber suits real mm-hmm. and i think in stilts but in, yeah. in stilts and that hurts two other werewolf movies that we're going to talk about later but we won't get to that but what marshall one thing that marshall did was smart was shot a lot of the wolves in dark or either in you know like in the dark but with some like with, with a little bit of light there's only a few shots where we get a really good view of the men in werewolf cost um, outfits if you will and it's very brief that was smart but what we don't get which you'll see in almost every other werewolf movie is a major transformation sequence it's we don't really get that no in we Dog don't soldiers at all um 
like I say, they're being sieged. They, yeah. The bulk of the movie, they're locked inside this small house and they're trying to stay alive. I think that where we lose a little bit of uh, momentum with the story is when they start having pretty inane arguments inside the cabin or the, the house about what are these things? What yeah. could they possibly be? <laughs> After the second or third firefight with the werewolves, you just have to accept that they're werewolves. Yes. I mean, what else would they be? Yeah, no, I, and I agree. <laughs> After you've seen the werewolf and fired at it several times and it kept coming, you convinced yourself it's not an animal. Yeah, <laughs> <You no. know? laughs> when it's walked in and snarled at you and you're like... Yeah, that looks like a werewolf to me. Again, you kind of have to... you got to live in the world of these horror movies. And in a horror movie, these guys don't believe in werewolves. I don't believe in werewolves. But if I saw a werewolf and shot it several times and then it got up, I would not later have a conversation with my friends asking... What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, no, like, it's a werewolf. I, yeah, that's like and throw. Yeah, no, that, that that's one, thing that, and it's repetitive. At there's a good, I think, five minutes wasted. Where it's like, is this a werewolf? You know, it's a werewolf. Yes, it's a werewolf. No, it's a werewolf. And there's a little bit of dick measuring that goes on. There's some there's animosity a, between a lot of dick measuring in this film. Uh, again, you say this film might be critical of uh, the, the women, in particular the female character, which I do want to talk about. Yeah. But I do also think it doesn't take a gentle eye on male masculinity and macho-ness. Mm, that's true. Uh, you know, the one of the main characters the, who's in charge of our squad, Sean Pertwee, plays him, is constantly you know looking at this picture of his wife, and he says the only thing that scares him mm-hmm. is the idea of not going home to his wife. Yeah. And yet, when he finds out that he's not going home to his wife, what does he say? Can't he says, when I signed my name on that dotted line, I, I prof- fucking meant, meant it. Yeah, I am a professional, professional soldier. soldier. Yes, I remember this. Dying for your your country yeah. holds more weight to these guys than yeah. being with their wives. Yeah. And is that a positive or a negative thing? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, well, I'm it's sure. interesting. <laughs> well, I'm sure the uh, whether it's the U.S. Army or I guess in this case the British Army, they'd be like, damn straight. <laughs> Hell so, to the yes. Yeah, Hoo-ah! Yes, exactly. <laughs> The, the female character, and her name is escaping me at the moment, yeah. but she comes across them as they're fleeing from the werewolves, and yeah. one of their characters has got their guts hanging out, and uh, they're in dire straits and they need help, and she shows up at the right place at the right time to yeah. help them. Yes. Flags go up. Yes. Please, Beckman, <laughs> tell me what you think about Well, I just don't understand the motivation of this character to begin with, because at first she does save them, mm-hmm. and then she takes him directly to a house. And spoiler here for those who haven't seen it, we find out about halfway through the movie that the pack of werewolves lives, uh, there. lives there. And she has deliberately taken them there, who I think she was planning to sell them out right from the beginning. <laughs> I interpreted it as, and this was her story, and I guess I believed her, but... yeah. She thought these guys were there to help deal with the werewolf problem or had some kind of magic cure or had some way of rescuing her from this family who she's been stuck with for the last two years. Yeah. And she doesn't like turning into a werewolf and killing people. She just assumed not. Yeah. But when she sees that these guys are getting whittled down and that the family of werewolves is likely going to win, that's when her claws come out. Okay. Where the issue comes is that moment of transition. Yeah. Because. Well, you see, this is what I don't get is like, you know, the wolves have been, you know, knocking on the door, bringing in for the entire movie. And then, she, you know, when she does her big reveal that uh, and does the whole I'm a bitch speech, mm-hmm. then she turns into a werewolf. And earlier we had 
you know, our villain played by was it like Liam was his Liam name? Cunningham, I believe. Liam Cunningham, the leader. who got you know ripped at the beginning of the movie and then turns into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Pertwee, who is an awesome, awesome actor, by yeah. the way, um, he's very rapidly turning into a werewolf. Yeah, and we have no like. There's never a point where she has been bit or scratched, and all of a sudden, then she turns into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, like, I guess on a full moon, sooner or later, they have to turn into a werewolf, but, uh, but it's she been a, held it off as long as she could. But it's been a full moon for well into the movie, and yeah, you, the, really the can't entire, contro- you really can't control it. There's something uncertain as far as the rules of werewolves in this movie. They seem to be susceptible to fire and silver, and that's all. Yeah. That's true with the werewolves. Everything else is a little bit fast and loose. Yeah. She can change when she wants. I think that my issue with it is that it's aggressively like she's she helps them and then when she changes, yeah, she is as bitchy to them about it as she yeah. can possibly be. Yeah, I mean, like she says, like uh, you may think women are bitches, but I'm the real, real thing. thing. Yeah, they were here the whole time, and I opened the door because it's that time of the, the month. month. Yeah, now I get the the reference with the moon thing, but of clearly this is this is misogynist yeah. making fun of women for <laughs> having periods and whatnot. Yeah, the whole menstrual and that joke. One little meet, beat because up until that point I was with it. And even if there was some little hums and haws about why did she choose this moment to reveal herself? Why not sooner? Why not later? Yeah. I would have let it go. I just wish that she wasn't such a bitch about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think she should have been more conflicted. Yeah. See, I mean, I, I just didn't buy it. Um, I, I just got the impression that she was saying what to begin with, and so when she does reveal that she's indeed a werewolf and she's been studying them, she's been with the family for two years, I, I called BS. I thought, no, really? I mean, meh. It's a B movie. It's yes. a low-budget B werewolf movie and yeah. I certainly wouldn't want to discourage anyone from watching it oh no I, I encourage think it's, it it's totally worth your time yeah oh no uh, it is it is like I love this movie I there do. are things that you're going to have to take on the chin there are explosions that are way too big yes. and there are some <laughs> the little the one at the end yeah there are some little bits of incongruity that you know you gotta roll with the punches with mm. this is the type of movie you're watching yeah. and if you like werewolf movies and yeah. if you like Macho cinema. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have a lot of fun with Dog Soldiers. No, this movie is fun. It, it is fun through and through. It is. It's got some dark humor. It's got some very gory humor, which I love. Um, it is basically an hour and forty-four minutes of adrenaline, and you know, it is. It is paced extremely well. It doesn't really give you a lot of time to take a breath, and even the little breaths, you know, they're not maddening or distracting. Yes, the, some of the dialogue is very over-the-top cheesy, but you know, especially for an opening feature, it, it is clearly a home run. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, it, it's good. You know a talented man made this film, yeah. and you know someday someone's going to give him a budget, yeah. and it's going to make an even better one. Yeah. And it's the truth. Yeah, it is. This is the story of two young American students traveling through England on a night of the full moon. Fate let one live. A lunatic must have been a very fierce fellow. Wasn't a lunatic. What? A wolf. Oh, be serious, would you? And now everything is changing. 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 Good Lord. 
John Landis, the brilliant young director of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, has turned a classic tale of terror into something new. Something different. Excuse me. A naked American man stole my balloon. Okay, in 1981, John Landis brought to the world an American werewolf in London. And uh, no one saw this movie coming. <laughs> no. uh, and apparently nobody wanted this movie. Uh, yeah. He had written the script when he was a, a much younger man, and it wasn't until he'd had a couple of assured box office successes that he was given permission <laughs> to do this project. Yeah. And, uh, you know, say what you will about Animal House and say what you will about some of Landis's other earlier works. Yeah. Uh, I think the American Werewolf in London is the one that he's going to be remembered for. Well, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, no. It's like as I was saying earlier, this is the, this is the granddaddy of of the modern day werewolf movies. He had just come off Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers, the other yeah. one I was trying and to think Blues of. And Blues Brothers was not the big hit that they'd hoped for. They hoped for. I mean, it made some money, but it, it was not a home run. That seemed to be Landis's curse. The movies aren't successful right away. They're successful like three or four years later on video, they slowly sort of get an audience. They yeah, never, well, people don't line up for his movies or something. <laughs> well, Animal House was a huge hit for him. But yeah, yeah no, I, I agree with you. I, I think the only other film that at the time made a lot of money for him was both Trading Places and Coming to America. And, then, and that was more Eddie Murphy than it yeah. was John At the Landers. time, there was no bigger star in the world. Yeah. Uh, Were, Werewolf in London unsurprisingly uh, has to do with a couple of American tourists <laughs> backpackers uh, headed through the uh, I think they're in the in the moors are they in Wales I can't exactly not sure where they are at the very beginning of yes. the movie but uh, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn yeah. uh, play these two guys yeah. uh, we get maybe five or ten minutes of them at the beginning of the movie walking and talking yeah. and that's all the time that we need to like these guys yeah. and be on their side yeah. completely relate to them yeah and because it's called An American Werewolf in London, we're pretty sure that one of these guys is dead meat. <laughs> well, we, we really know right from the beginning that they're dead meat. I mean, not <laughs> subtle. We first meet them in a truck full of sheep. They're in the back of a truck full of sheep. Yeah. And then they walk through this misty uh, uh, landscape yeah. to an inn and a bar called what? Uh, the slaughtered, slaughtered lamb. lamb. Yes, it is not subtle, but it is fun, and it is funny. Oh my and god, <laughs> this movie is funny. <laughs> I think it would be interesting if you were English to watch this movie because you get the idea that they're not exactly making fun of English people, but they're making fun of, of how we perceive <laughs> English, English people? people. Yeah, no, this the movie. Guys, the people in the bar, the slaughtered lamb, are all very strange. <laughs> in a lot of ways, the British people did not come off quite well in this movie. They're either torn to pieces or they're kind of dicks. With the, with the exception of what's her Jenny Jenny Augeter Jenny Augeter who is unbelievably gorgeous in this movie she's attractive and she has an accent it's yes. almost unfair I know it's just <laughs> wow but I thought it was interesting in the in, in the bar scene and we're again we're just at the very beginning of the movie yeah uh, the people that are so off-put by having non-locals yeah. in their place you're not local yes. <laughs> that they want them to leave. They're yeah. made uncomfortable by their presence. Yet they know they that want them to leave so much that they send them out into the moors in the dead of night, yeah. where they know for the, a fact, fact that, there that there's is a, a werewolf, werewolf on, on the, the hunt. hunt. Yeah. So 
why did they do this? And, uh, you know, the boys get ejected from the bar. They walk through the moors. They don't listen to any of their instructions. Like, yeah. dumb backpacking American kids probably wouldn't. Yeah. And they get attacked by a werewolf. Yeah. And the townspeople, and we didn't get this scene where they had the conversation in the bar afterwards. You know, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. We never have that scene where they come to the realization. But they are good enough to come to their rescue yeah. after they put them in harm's way. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting, you know, one of the... I guess one of the themes or underlying themes of American Werewolf in London is, you know, foreigners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of get the impression, especially when this movie was coming out, there had been riots in, in, in England about a lot of, you know, to do with immigrants. And that's one of the themes in American Werewolf in London is, you know, the foreigner coming into the merry old land of England, who, of course, was responsible for a lot of colonialism around the world mm-hmm. and how England treated a lot of immigrants. I cannot, but th- that's one thing that, that kind of stuck out stuck out with me as I was. I've seen American Werewolf in London, I think now six, seven times, <laughs> and last night that was one thing that really struck out at me is how foreigners are really treated in this movie. I didn't think that deeply about it, and I yeah. would argue I've probably seen it sixteen or seventeen yeah. times. This was a popular pick for me when oh, yeah. in my teenage years. <laughs> um, but uh, I, the movie has a sense of humor, and yeah. I do think that it is basically a fairly straightforward uh, werewolf movies. I get the feeling like the humor and the sort of uh, observations yeah. just sort of happen along the way. Yeah. But we're there for the werewolf movie. Oh no, it, it, it <laughs> is it is a classic take on, on the werewolf story. Landis, Landis has even admitted to that he wanted to make a traditional classic werewolf movie in a modern Oh, I know it's an oxymoron, but a, a modern take on it, but it's still a classic werewolf movie. <laughs> so getting back to the, the plot, as we're slowly unfolding it, yeah. uh, our, our character of David, the, the one played by um, David Naughton, yeah. uh, wakes up in a hospital, and yeah. his friend has been killed. Yeah. And I remember, even at a young age when I first saw the movie, I was really bummed out that Griffin Dunn was dead because I liked him so much. Yeah. And this is another one of the brilliant gifts of the movie. Yeah. Just because Griffin Dunn's dead does not mean he's dead of the movie. <laughs> In fact, Hi there, David! <laughs> exactly. Uh, he keeps on appearing to David, explaining to him what's happening. Yeah. And uh, he's got a lot of bad news to level to his friend, but he's yeah. still the same guy. They're still friends. Yeah. The worst thing that could possibly happen to Griffin Dunn has already happened, happened. to him. Right? Uh, we see him in increasingly worse state of decay but he seems to keep a pretty light measure about it he almost yeah, seems he, to enjoy this horrible limbo world I, I, I don't know if he enjoys it but he, you know he's trying to break the bad news gently to his friend because he knows that his best friend is is going through some issues yeah but yeah, like he almost wants to give him a high five for having sex with the nurse. You know, I, I think he said nurse. Does. Eh? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right on. You know, just because I'm dead doesn't mean we can't still be buddies. So yeah. I, I like that they're bond. He's yeah. broke death. Yeah. And, and uh, I like you know uh, the slow transformation we're getting with him. Uh, the we, we, he starts having bizarre dreams. <laughs> oh my god! I will argue actually that the dream sequences might be for me the scariest parts of the movie mm, uh, they're pretty terrifying they're but... they're absurd and random and crazy <laughs> there's the bizarre addition of the muppets uh, yeah. He has a dream where he, he's back home, and all of a sudden his family gets killed by these weird Nazi, Nazi warthog, werewolf-looking yeah. things, and the kids are watching the Muppets on the screen. And then he wakes up, and uh, an American has showed up at the hospital to help him through his troubles, and yeah. he's played 
by Frank Oz. That's right. Who is a puppeteer and a voice for most of people's favorite Muppets. He is I, Kermit the Frog. He's the voice of Kermit. <laughs> oh, Jim Henson was the voice well, of Kermit. But, he uh, was. He, he did I like Miss Piggy and I think uh, yeah. Fuzzy Bear and a lot of the big Muppets. But anyway, there's this weird little connection if you notice it. Yeah. <laughs> little segue. Um, you've seen Darkman, yes? Yes, of course. Do you remember the hospital sequence when Darkman is sort of latched? Uh, he's just been burnt. He's completely all white. Right. Um, the the nurse giving the or actually the doctor giving the speech about you know sticking the uh, pen uh, in, into Darkman is none other than uh, what is that um, Jenny Agutter oh really and oh, one of the that. and one of the doctors who's you know whose face is covered is none other than John Landis huh. it is a big nod to American <laughs> Werewolf in London well uh, it's it's a very respected movie and with good yeah. good reason. Yeah. Uh, the thing the film is most famous for, which we have come to, is his transformation sequence. He can't quite believe he's a werewolf, you know, and you kind of be you believe it because he's alone a lot of the time. Yeah, all the time he's talking to Griffin Dunn, he's by himself, so he convinces himself that this is just survivor guilt. Yeah, he he lived, his friend didn't. It's fucked him up. Yeah. So he's not a werewolf. He doesn't need to kill himself. He's not going to threaten the people of London. Yeah. Until oh wait. <laughs> yeah. Oops. One of the many things I love about this transformation sequence, which they invented an Oscar to give <laughs> to this movie, the special they... effects Oscar was made because this movie was made. It was well earned. Yeah, absolutely. The transformation, and I don't think I remember ever seeing this in a werewolf movie before, maybe a few times since, but never before, yeah. is incredibly painful to Oh him. my god, it is... You can hear the bones <laughs> snapping and him screaming. And David Naughton does a great job of it, because w when we see it, it all happens in probably a three-minute sequence, maybe, yeah. if that. Yeah. But this would have been several days and pieces of prosthetics. No CGI here, kids. No. And, uh... It is an amazing transformation, and it's they stay, they hold, they don't cut away from it. They they give you long shots of it. It's it's never been rivaled. No. It, it's never been beaten. It is still the best transformation yeah. that I've ever seen. Story goes, and and if you get uh, like a new copy of American Werewolf in London, either in DVD or Blu-ray, I recommend watching the documentaries on it. And it talks about how, and it's Rick Baker that, mm -hmm. that did the special effects, if I'm not mistaken. He was pilfered from the howling for this. Yes, actually. he was. His, <laughs> his understudy, the um, guy who did the special effects for the thing. Boutine. Uh, sorry? Rob Boutine uh, um, got the howling job. Anyways, Baker, uh, Baker and Landis were doing uh, another movie before American Werewolf in London. And um, Landis came to Baker and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to get this werewolf movie made. How would you do it? And uh, Baker said, well, I would do, you know, this, this, and this, and this. And Landis said, well, I just got the money for it. Uh, we're going to shoot it in, in you know, just, in two, just about two years from now, a year and a half. I'm going to give you an extra six months to come up. They gave him time. They gave him time, and it clearly shows. Yeah. It is so good. Yeah. Um, the weird counterintuitive thing about this is where they don't pull any punches on the transformation. Yeah. They do pull a lot of punches on the kills. They do. I think a lot of the reason that I really liked this movie when I was especially young mm -hmm. is because it was a horror movie that didn't overly scare me. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I like to show my friends horror movies and make them think I was cool, but uh, yeah. when I was younger, I was a little bit more of a scaredy cat. Yeah. And uh, this movie didn't scare me because they cut away so much. They will set up the events leading to the attack, and we'll see 
a second. Yeah. And then they will cut away. And this happens several times in the movie. Yeah. We get to see the aftermath because as he kills more victims, more people end up in the limbo world. Yeah. So instead of just being visited by Griffin Dunn, he's getting an increasing cast of characters, yeah. most of which aren't as gentle with him because they're not his best friend. Yeah. No, the real juice comes in, in the Piccadilly Square sequence at the end mm-hmm. where, you know, the werewolf is unleashed and is, like, biting people's heads off and running around, and we have that big uh, sort of bus... Double-decker bus ...that crashes and runs over that head and everything. (laughs) That's when... You know, that's Shades of Blues Brothers right there with those insane car chases. Yeah, Yeah, but I agree. The werewolf... The attacks cut away... The only... It's the end and the first attack when... um, We get some... What's David's best friend again? Griffin's Dunn. Dunn's you know, the name of the actor. I can't remember the name of the character. But anyways, uh, his his death is quite brutal. Jack. 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 When Jack is killed, he's ripped to shreds, and it is like not nice. No, and, it's and, a brutal. It's and, a brutal death. <laughs> yeah, that is really the only really two scenes of violence, with the exception of that Nazi dream sequence where throats are slit and people are shot. <laughs> um, but oh my god, when yeah. that does happen. <laughs> Uh, a lot of little touches that I want to mention too. All of the music in the film are songs about moons. Yeah, bitter moon, blue moon. Yeah, a couple of versions of blue moon. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, just bad small moon ones. on the right. Yeah. yeah, I see a bad moon arising. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, nice funny little touches too. But there's also yeah. touches that are real. I want to. We're almost at the end here, but I'm going to jump right back to the beginning when Griffin Dunn is being attacked. Yeah, one of my favorite moments of the film, David. Griffin Dunn bears the brunt of the attack. Yeah. So David runs. Yes. And I think anybody would run oh, in that situation. But I love that he's running away and he's hearing his friend's screams and the screams are getting farther away and quieter. Yeah. And he has to stop. Yeah. He has to go back and help his friend. Yeah. Uh, that whole scene is just so well handled. And yeah. like, uh, of course, your human instinct is to run away. Yeah. And and he does run away. But yeah. but instead of cutting away from that. Uh, yeah. He had that beat where he does will himself to go back, and so rarely do I see that done, and so rarely. Yeah, so no, well. like he's he's a really good guy. Yeah, like, right, if we didn't like him before, we clearly like him after that, which makes his fall even more tragic. Um, I know we have to end this conversation really quickly, but I'm going to say, <laughs> besides the Piccadilly uh, Square sequence, which is my favorite in the film, that it starts off in a porno theater, no yeah, less. I love, yeah. I love the porn movie they're watching. Yeah, it's so funny. It, yes, it is. The scene where he wakes up in the zoo, and he then runs, and he steals that kid's red balloons. A naked American man oh, stole, stole my, my balloon. balloon. <laughs> See, that's, that's why I love this movie. Orion Pictures presents Wolfen. For centuries, they have been hiding in the rubble of your cities. The concealed threat. The invisible terror. Chris! They can sense the rhythm of your blood. Hear clouds pass overhead. See where you are blind. A force so deadly, it will tear the screen from your throat. Alright, so before we start talking about Wolfen, I want to ask you, what constitutes, in your eyes, a werewolf movie? What, what, what makes it a werewolf movie? Well, uh, 
Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna blind alley here. When I assigned us the wolf, and I assumed that it was a full-on werewolf movie, so uh, I hadn't seen it before we did this rank and review. This is yeah. one of the movies that it was. I came to with completely new eyes. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of it. I'm a big fan of Albert Finney. Yep. Um, and there's a big wolfy-looking creature on the front oh, yeah, of the box growling, and I just always assumed it was a werewolf movie that I'd never gotten around to. Yep. So yeah, to me, a werewolf movie is a, <laughs> a movie about a werewolf. Yeah. And I think that's where, when I said there's one movie that stands out as being different than the rest, this isn't that. I think they sold it as that. Oh, no. I mean, there's, there's even at one point, they're teasing about that, you know, these are people that change, there are First Nations people that are changing into werewolves. Like, the, pardon me, they do tease it. Yeah. And, 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 it and it so wants to be a werewolf movie, mm. but it is not. No, it's this weird sort of, what do you say, uh, Allegory for I think uh, First Nations peoples and w- w- almost a dream revenge fantasy on their behalf in yeah. some ways. What I got from the movie, um, Albert Finney plays a detective who's mm-hmm. got his own issues, who's assigned a murder case. He's a drunkard. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. And, and no one plays haggard drunkard better than <laughs> Albert Finney. I love Albert Finney. That's one of the main attractions for this movie. Oh yeah, no, he's great. Like, well, no, the cast in this is actually impressive. Yeah. We've got. Let me see here. Diane Venora, Tom who is Noonan, like eighties Diane Venora, who is hot. Gregory Nines, Tom Noonan, yeah. Albert Finney. Um, God, who else? The, well, uh, Edward James Almost. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, Edward James Almost, who has a who I what I find funny is it's another long line of actors who are not First Nations. I think playing, he is yeah. playing First Nations. You know, following like Burt Reynolds or Amanda Sante from The Prophecy. Did you remember The Prophecy, that Killer Bear movie? <sighs> I think I blocked it out. You need... I, I, was, I, I was trying to get to the plot here just a little Sorry. bit. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm taking We'll get away. to The Prophecy on another day. Okay, cool. Um, Albert Finney is uh, investigating a brutal homicide with yep. which people look like they've been either ripped or, or bitten to pieces. Yeah. Uh, he's assigned a new partner, the haughty Diane <laughs> Venora. Yeah, and, and Diane Venora is awesome. Yeah. Um, but as we find out, uh, these are wolves that are just normal wolves. Supernatural wolves, uh, actually. Well, can they, but they look like wolves. Yeah. But yeah. They, they're basically spirit animals that are protecting their own territory. Yes. Uh, the politician in question was going to basically lay waste to the neighborhood to make new condos or whatever. This is essentially what that is. And in order to protect their land, they uh, showed up and killed him. Yeah. Um, basically, the rest of the movie is procedural. We are introduced to a character it's who a m- is not necessarily someone who would be directly related to a homicide investigation. Yeah. They volunteer to help. They die. Yes. Repeat. Yes. Rinse and, and repeat. Uh, the end of the movie offers no real honest resolution. I know. It, it, it does have a weird sort of ending where the villains of the piece sort of still run free and... They're going, they're going to continue roaming the earth and protecting their, their their space, if you will. But these are ghost dogs or spirit animals. They are spirit animals. Supernatural wolves, they are essentially called at one point. Yeah. Um, like you were saying, there's some good actors in here. We've talked about Tom Noonan in the past in this podcast. He's yeah. sort of one of my favorite twitchy weirdo guys. Yeah, he's great in this. He plays <laughs> this weird sort of wildlife expert, if you will. Biker, wildlife dude. Yeah, yeah he's a little eccentric. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, yeah, he's a he's a professional when it comes to animals. He's curious with the case and decides to do his own investigation. And what helps? What happens? 
dies. He dies. He dies. Gregory Hines, uh, famous uh, tap tap dancing performer. He is a mortician, I understand. He does the autopsy. And and then he he continues on with the investigation for some reason. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) He he essentially goes on a stakeout with Albert Finney, only to die rather badly. It's funny, this Albert Finney, this sort of Columbo figure in this movie, yeah. uh, seems somehow untouchable, but everyone around him is getting <laughs> raked over the coals. Yep. You, um, well, you can't kill Albert Finney. Albert Finney. You just can't. I think this is going to rank low on the list for me because, well, I, this is my fuck-up. It's not really uh, a werewolf movie. Yeah. And the lack of a resolution kind of hurt me. Uh, I think it's an interesting movie, and I yeah. think it did bring some stuff to the table. Yeah. Uh, the wolf vision. Yes. The point of view of the wolf, low to the ground with those weird sort of filtered lights. Yeah. That, uh, I thought, like, the Predator invented that, you yeah. know? But no, we are seeing this in 1981. Yeah. Um, the, the point of view, low to the grounds, uh, and uh, where you can sort of see heat signatures, or you can see what, like, the, mm-hmm. they're smelling something, you know, the, the, the pursuit. I hadn't seen that before, um, yeah. and I thought that was an interesting element. Yeah. And like I say, the cast is strong, yeah. the script isn't. It's adapted from a novel by Whitley Stryber. And what is Whitley Stryber actually known for? The Communion series. Yes. Uh, the quote-unquote true story, story of, of him and his family being abducted. kidnapped repeatedly, nightly, by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that stuck out, um, the first time I, I actually, the second time I saw Wolfen was actually in your old apartment above Broadway. Oh, when you were house sitting? Yeah, I was house sitting. I was watching Wolf and and I was listening to the music. James Horner, who's a uh, who's no longer with us, but he was a classical. He was a fairly popular um, uh, film score guy. Score dude, yeah. He would done like a lot of films, like Rambo, RoboCop, if you will. If you listen to the score of Wolfen, and then you listen to the score of Aliens, you will almost get an, an identical score. Yeah, it the seemed one. like a familiar ground. Yeah, it, they are really almost identical. It's funny, too, because like, I kept on seeing things in this movie that I'd say, like, is this borrowing from something? But no, yeah. it came out in 1981. Other movies are borrowing from it. Um, I did a little bit of reading on the film myself. Did and, you? Uh, the studio apparently wasn't really happy with no. the end product of the film, yeah. and as a result decided to sell it as a werewolf movie. Yes. Which is why I and the rest of the world thought this was a way hey, I get it. No, like, I totally get it as well. And it was just when I got assigned, you know, these films, Wolfen was one of the first films I saw. And as I was watching it, and the movie kept on going on, I kind of thought, wait a second, this isn't a werewolf movie. Like to me, a werewolf movie is at some point our character gets bitten and is turned into a werewolf. And that struggle of man yeah. and beast, and you know, yes. That unfortunately does not happen. I would put actually Wolfen as the sort of you know a Mad Dog series, the same you know movies like Cujo or The Pack or Man's Best Friend right. or The Breed. I think that's yeah. where Wolfen would sort of eventually fall and lie, or basically nature go- gone bad, really. Yeah. Or I don't know, yeah, <laughs> spirit animals. I, yeah. I I think that what hurts me the most, and I've said it a few times, is mm-hmm. that the movie doesn't really resolve. In fact, it is implied that an uh, a person who is convicted for the crime, uh, of course, isn't guilty. <laughs> yeah. But they're not going to arrest the spirit wolves. <laughs> yeah. Know? 
uh, a lot of people die and nobody gets the cuffs put on them and there's no kind of resolution and it's not that open ending ooh scary it really just sort of felt like a story without an ending well I think the true villains of the piece is quote unquote man well, it's and always how, it's always man yes and how we are destroying our earth at a rapid rate <laughs> the spirit wolves are right to eat yes <laughs> they're just putting the barbecue sauce on us <laughs> I don't think you're wasting your time to watch Wolf, and like I say, I think it's going to rank low on this list because it's not really a werewolf movie. See? But, uh, it's interesting. It's not boring. It's kind of a nice little timepiece, but, uh, it doesn't fit well with this collection. <laughs> I, I, I got the, well, see, I, I like, I, I'm putting Wolf in, actually, above, uh, two other films in here. Uh, I liked it. I like the fact that it's a detective story. That, you know, for a while I was waiting to find out, you know, who's really responsible. And when we do find out, I mean, yes, they're not truly punished, if you will. How could they be? Yeah. (laughs) And that they're simply, you know, protecting their turf. And, you know, I think we're supposed to get, you know, I get that, if you will. It would be the equivalent of trying to arrest a poltergeist or something. Yeah. There's there's no ending to that. The dialogue was also very snappy. Um, You know, just listening to this movie... You know, there was a lot of banter back and forth between Diane Renora and Albert Finney and even um, Gregory Hines. So, you know, that was something that, that, that sort of... The dialogue is a lot better than even, like, I'd say Dog Soldiers or The Howling or... or it's competently made. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the people who were making the movie thought they were making a bad movie. And I don't think they did make a bad no, movie. No, they didn't. They, they uh, didn't. It's, it's a repetitive movie, like I say. Introduce a character who's not involved with the investigation, who decides to help with the investigation, then kill that character. Yeah. I believe that happens three times, and then we get our non-ending. Yeah. But I wasn't bored at any point. No. Yet. And I don't want to chase people away from the movie. I didn't cringe. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. I didn't cringe with this movie. You know, another thing I really liked about it is, you know, it, it's old 80s, it's 70s, 80s New York, when New York still looked really grungy and dirty before Mayor Giuliani came in and made it a military zone and cleaned it up. <laughs> Um, so it's it's like a little time caps time capsule. You know, you watch it and you can see all this graffiti and even like the look, the look of it, like the look of the film. Yeah. Um, you just kind of go, ah, uh, it's like watching the Warriors, that Walter Hill film. <laughs> you know, you know that New York doesn't exist anymore. Well, so the Warriors is a world that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But I, mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah, uh, and that's part of just the time it was made. And yeah. for the most part, although there was a few things that kind of made me smile as far as dating the movie, there's a few yeah. fashion choices that are kind of hilarious. The haircut of Diana Bernard is one. <laughs> but uh, you know, again, uh, it, it is what it is, and uh, I don't want to scare people away from the movie. Unless, of course, they were hoping to watch a werewolf movie. Yes. In which case, I would say, don't watch it. It is not a werewolf movie. It's not. United against life as we know it. With an appetite for the macabre. I'm slitting my throat. You should definitely hang. All it takes is one night. And one bite. Let's get out of here. Did I change last night? How would the moon? Ginger's changing. How do you feel? Ginger snaps. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie has a a really 
strong cult following. Yeah, it's, rightfully so. It's uh, one of a handful of uh, Canadian-made, written and produced and directed films yeah. that I think a lot of people around the world know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird, because it's this tiny, low-budget uh, werewolf picture, uh, and... It's got that weird indie Canadian thing where it's a little rough around the edges. Not yeah. all the performances are 100%. And the script goes places that maybe it shouldn't. But I fucking love Ginger, Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps is What did awesome. you think of Ginger Snaps? I love Ginger Snaps. Um, I forgot how good this movie was when I oh, rewatched yeah. it again. It's, it is a funny and scary movie that does not hold back it it, it pulls some punches <laughs> um yeah no um jolene had a hard time watching this movie because all the dogs that die in yeah. this movie you know there's that whole there's that whole rule with with a lot of movies even horror fi- horror films which a couple of werewolf movies do this you don't kill kids mm-hmm. and you don't kill dogs and they this they, werewolf actually exclusively fed on dogs for for, uh, for the first portion of the movie yeah it's no. actually not until um, Ginger starts killing people, really, isn't it? The other beast was mainly focusing on uh, dogs. Yeah. They, uh, well, let's just do the plot here. Yeah. Um, two sisters, uh, played by Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins, yeah. uh, are sort of outsiders in their little small town and have yeah. made a pact to remain strange and remain each other's best friends you know, friend and, and support. I think mean, it's like dead in the scene or out by 16. Exactly. The they have, yeah. Um, and uh, they're cool. But uh, Ginger uh, becomes a woman. She has her first uh, period and um, things are starting to change. Their little perfect dynamic are, is being questioned. Yeah. And in the meantime, oh, yeah, a lot of the local area dogs are being found mutilated. I, mean, yeah. I think there's some rabid dog or coyote or something causing yeah. problems. They decide they're going to pull a uh, prank on the this big bitch that goes to their high school. Yep. And, uh, they end up walking through a park at night and coming across a freshly killed dog. Yeah. And I think the only reason that they were attacked by the beast is because they got in between it and its, uh, and its supper. Presumably before this point, uh, it's only been attacking dogs, right? I... I, 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 I... I think what what the wolf does is what makes the wolf attack Ginger is she starts she's had her period she, yeah. yeah she starts she's ovulating bleeding. she's ovulating yeah. one thing I really love about Ginger Snaps is the whole link it has to the awakening of teen of female teenage sexuality and this would typically be the male perspective yeah. right this is like uh, the male going through puberty and yeah. trying to figure out what his penis was for and <laughs> yeah. uh, becoming uh, aggressive and, and frustrated by all of the new challenges yeah. it's great that this that it's not a guy this time that it's ginger yeah um, and I love the screenplay. There is some yeah. just delicious lines. Yeah. Uh, right before the attack, which in which Ginger is bitten, and which yeah. starts the plot a rolling. Yeah. Uh, when they're off doing the prank, yeah. Catherine Isabel is whining. Uh, is it? I'm getting them backwards, aren't I? Uh, she's whining, saying that uh, oh, we should go home. This is a bad idea. And yeah. her sister basically says. This was your idea. Yeah. If you don't like your ideas, stop having them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just like, Bravo. right there. We were 20 minutes or less than that into the movie, and I'm yeah. like, I love this show. Yeah. This is good stuff. No, um, I love both the sisters. Both both the, f- the female actors in this movie are 
they bring their A game. I mean, mm-hmm. they are heavily supported by a whip, star, a whip smart screenplay right. that plays with the werewolf conventions. Catherine Isabel is Ginger. Yes. She's the red-haired sister. And yeah. uh, Emily Perkins is, is the brunette. Yeah. Uh, you may also know her from the miniseries of It. Yes. She played Beverly Marsh in that. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, she's sort of... Emily Perkins' character is a little bit of the, the weaker... Uh, for the most part of the movie, she sort of has to find her strength yeah. as uh, she's going to try to deal with her sister. Yeah. Um, some of the other supporting players, like I said, not as good. There's a bully at school, who a boy who ends up getting an- infected, and yes. I, wasn't, I wasn't overly blown away by him as an actor. Yeah. A couple of the teachers that only have two or three lines looked a little bit camera shy. There was just something about their performances that, that, that they looked like they were terrified. Yeah. Um, but the movie has enough solid, great performances to uh, make up for it. They got a flashy, bizarre role from Mimi Rogers as their Ooh. mother. <laughs> I was trying to, I was, I was trying to remember the last good Mimi Rogers performance, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't think of any. She's well, really good in this. It's part of the weird touch about these Canadian films, right? Like they think it, it, it was a coup to get Mimi Rogers to be yeah. in this Canadian film, right? Well, at that time, who was giving a shit about Mimi Rogers? I'll do respect, Mimi, but yeah, Mimi. nobody cared about Mimi Rogers at the time. Yeah, and she, yet, to the production of Ginger Snaps, she was a real get. So yeah, no, Mimi. Ro- she's not Mimi Rogers, eighties Mimi Rogers, if you will. <laughs> no, she. Time has since gone on. Um, I want to talk about very quickly, uh, very quickly that that opening, the opening werewolf attack on mm-hmm. on Ginger. Right. Very well done. Probably the best attack moment of the movie, maybe. Very brutal. Um, like once again, like American Werewolf in London, the sound effects do a lot of the work. Yeah, yeah and, and I love the fact that she's dragged away, and there's that one sort of shot where it's panning through the forest, and there's that car driving by, and you can hear Ginger screaming in the in the back, echoing through. Yeah, yeah, that's terrifying to me that that wolf is so quick and has dragged her away, yeah. and is like eating on her, and her sister is freaking out. Yeah. I thought that was that was a really nice touch. Yeah, it's that's scary yeah. to me, uh, and. Uh, it's set up, like I said, these two gothy sisters who yeah. have this, this this blood bond between them. I mean, it, it almost seemed like they were fated yeah. to have some kind of tragic uh, thing that separated them. I, I might have guessed vampires, yes. but I'm glad it was werewolves. werewolves yeah. <laughs> I also love the humor in this film. There's yeah. a lot of dark humor in this film. And a couple of not-so-obvious winks. Right? Yeah. Uh, did you catch uh, Ted and Sam Raimi to the office, please? No, Over I the did PA not. system? No, yeah. I did not. Um, there's just little things here and there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I, I love the whole bit when Ginger starts growing a tail. Yeah. You know, she's a nice piece of tail. That, yeah. Like that, that joke right there. And, and and that's the thing. Like uh, I say, that the the Canadian films have a, a, a knack for kind of going a different direction. Yeah. The fact that she, even when she's not a werewolf, has a little stub of a tail to yeah. grow out of her. <laughs> <It> wags. And <laughs> the, you know, it wags when she's excited. <laughs> you know, we're describing this and people are rolling their eyes, but you should watch this movie because yeah. it's not like a, a, a big wacky moment either. In fact, Ginger's horrified by it. I believe yeah. she tries to saw it off. She does. It's, it's handled quite well. It's, I mean, it's both funny and brutal at the same time. Part of her being, you know, becoming a woman and becoming a werewolf simultaneously yeah. uh, is very empowering to her. She finally starts to care what people think of her. Yeah. She gets 
cares about you know not wearing sloth goth black dirty clothes yeah uh, and uh, the the Halloween party where she goes to the Halloween party like half wolfed out yeah Catherine Isabel is ridiculously hot in that sequence yeah. too. She's yeah. even half werewolf. She is just ridiculously yeah, you, hot. Yeah, like you're like, uh. but uh, are we scared of her feminine power or are we scared of the werewolf power? Well, I'm scared of the werewolf. Well, power. Yeah, no, I'm scared of the werewolf power. <laughs> but she is learning that she has this power and that she can use it. Yeah, she goes from being made fun of to you know. Uh, stealing the coolest girl in school's boyfriend from her, you know, yeah. and just becoming this worshipped figure. Yeah. And in the meantime, her sister is left back in her dark little corner alone. Yeah. Who plays the drug dealer boyfriend, do you know? Because uh, I, I want to give him sort of honorable mention. Uh, I believe Chris Lemke? Chris Lemke. I've never seen him in, 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 in anything else, but I love the fact that him and, is it Emily Perkins? Mm-hmm. Um, they never. One of the things that, that that happened with a lot of horror films is the cliche: we've got to put a romance in it. Yeah. And Ginger Snaps smartly avoids that, where we've got the, the drug dealer hero who teams up with Emily Perkins to take down Ginger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they do briefly talk about it, but they're saying, but they're clearly saying, no, we're not a romantic couple. They're just clearly friends, you know, trying to do good. So when he does bite it at the end. Mm-hmm. I, I did a whole, ah, oh, shit. You didn't think he was going to go. Yeah. You really didn't. Yeah. They set him up to be, maybe not, he wasn't some sort of romantic lead, like he was yeah. older than the girls by significant, and he knew that the high school girls were after him, yeah. but he was moral about it. He may yeah. have been a pot dealer, but he wasn't fucking the high school kids. Yeah. He was just selling them weed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah. um, but no, he did everything right. He, he yeah. gets him onto the wolf bane and tries to find ways to fix Ginger. Yeah. And, um, and that's the other thing about Ginger's motivations. How much of it is her not wanting her sister to have the same power? Does she enjoy being the alpha? Yeah, yeah. I think, and once again, this gets to just the sort of subtext of um, of Ginger Snaps, where it's you know it's it's trying to it's talking about puberty and female puberty and how. Uh, when your, your body is changing, you behave, and, and I mean, and I think we can all agree <laughs> that teenagers from about thirteen to fifteen, sixteen, don't always make the smartest choices, if you will. You know, they don't <laughs> they don't think about what they're doing. The reason they don't put teenagers in jail is because if they did, there would be no teenagers not in jail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I, 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 they use the werewolf genre to sort of, you know, I guess, make fun of of, of puberty, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are cool little funny bits like uh their mom played by Mimi Rogers is clearly she's clearly crazy yeah uh she suspects something's up with her girls but she has no idea the depth of what they're into yeah and there's this little amazing twist that happens uh she finds severed fingers in her garden yeah and becomes convinced that her girls are involved in something horrendous which makes sense yeah but what does she do Larry what does she do she gets the girls in a car to have a chat with them yeah. and says, we have to start a new life. I'm going to burn down the house. We're going to leave your father. Yeah. And we're going to start new somewhere else. Yeah. And like, it comes out of the clear blue sky. sky. Yeah, you're like, what? You're <laughs> expecting her to, like, we got to go to the police or what have you girls done? I need you to level with me right now or take control of the situation and be some kind of help. Yeah. But she was looking for any excuse to yeah. get away. And... Yeah. Her kids are murderers. Okay, that's my excuse. Yeah. I'm outie. And if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it, it, you know, 
dealing with the logic of Ginger Snaps, she is left outside of that Halloween party waiting for her two kids her to two come kids, out. Huh? Yeah. And that's the last we see of her. Yeah. I mean, all said and told, you know, when the movie ends, she is still probably still waiting outside that house. So we've described a lot of bizarre, weird points. We've said some of the acting is wiggy. It doesn't sound like this is a movie that we'd be endorsing. But I am endorsing oh, no. enthusiastically. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I love this awesome. movie warts and all. And like yeah. you said, there's that funny weird stuff that makes you go, wow. Yeah. And then there's some genuinely horrifying sequences. Yeah. That last sequence in the basement of their house, Ginger becomes a very real horrifying <laughs> threat. Yeah. And that final showdown works on every level. One thing I liked about what they did with the wolf and the same thing with American Werewolf in London is and, and one of the battles you have when you do a werewolf movie is you are either going to have well now it's CGI mm-hmm. but even and, and Ginger Snaps was made in, in the time of CGI but they went old school they did practical the werewolf is a four-legged creature yeah. it's a hellhound much like American Werewolf in London and that's a lot more believable to me and a lot more menacing than a, than a person walking on hind legs going Rrrr. yeah so I like the fact that they made it uh, you know a four-legged yeah, creature like, you're right American Marvel London did that too typically we get them standing up but at least they don't wear the blue jeans yeah I think the day they make a modern werewolf movie where the guy's still wearing blue jeans I might have to sit it out <laughs> yeah but please watch Ginger Snaps yeah it's, it's awesome it is the howling <laughs> Somewhere in this city, in this human jungle, it begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods, in this primal, sensuous, secret place, lies an experience too terrifying for words. All right, The Howling. Uh, a few episodes ago, my friend Jeremy Cook and I discussed uh, Joe Dante's classic Gremlins 2. Yeah. The new batch. Yeah. Uh, Joe Dante has been a genre director for quite a few years from the yeah. 70s. He's made some uh, gooders. He has made some gooders. I'm interested to check out what he makes, but he's not a lock. His presence does not guarantee you greatness, as I think Gremlins 2 suggests. See, I like Gremlins 2 a lot. I mean, it is... Let's focus on the howling, yeah. but yeah. Um, uh, no, it, Gremlins 2 is what it is, and it's a goofy comedy, but yeah. uh, the howling is not a goofy comedy. The howling takes itself very seriously. I disagree. I, I think howling knows it, it, it's... There's a lot of slap slapstick-type humor... Joe Dante is a big Warner Brothers Looney Tunes fan. Okay. And no, if you know that, going into The Howling, you can see a lot of that sort of type of humor. Because I saw it more as sort of satirical, uh, sort of pulling apart uh, these like health nut guru type people. It does that. Uh, That's sort of where I saw it. And I didn't think it particularly hilarious or anything like that. And especially the opening sequence, uh, the the film centers on a a journalist played... uh, by Dee Wallace, yeah. who uh, has a traumatic experience. She's helping to in, uh, investigate and trap a serial killer, I believe, at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And she ends up in another porn booth. 
We got a lot of porn <laughs> yeah, this, in this series of, of movies. Sex and werewolves. Uh, and uh, is confronted by this man, and uh, she can't remember exactly what happened, but clearly he wolfed out and, yeah. and terrified her. And in order to deal with it, since she's unable to go on TV to talk about it or do her job, yeah. she gets sent to this retreat out in the woods to, yeah. uh, you know, uh, lick her wounds and uh, slap her into shape so she can go get back to her life. And she goes with her husband. She goes with her husband, who's uh, played by... Uh, Christopher Stone. Christopher Stone, who was her real-life husband at the time. Yes, he died of a heart attack. Uh, in the 90s, both, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that's basically the setup of the story. She's got some trauma. She needs to get over it. She's sent out into the woods and meets these crazy, interesting people. Yeah. Um, she's unable to have, be intimate with her husband because yeah. of how scared she is, so he's feeling... Like, he needs to fix her, but... Uh, he's, he feels rejected. He's, he's also feeling a little bit dejected. Because mm-hmm. he didn't want her to be doing this to begin with. He thought it was a bad idea, and clearly he was right. Yeah. <clears throat> but I didn't get that, and I know you're right, Joe Dante does like his sense of humor. I didn't get the feeling like I was supposed to be smiling through these scenes. Um, I, I, I giggled a lot with the howling, but at the same time, I found the humor took me out of it. Um... Joe Dante also worked for Roger Corman, and yeah. Roger Corman, as we all know, is you know the king of of the sort of drive-in schlocky. He's got horror. a cameo in the movie. He does. He does. He does. He does have a cameo in the movie, and in a lot of ways, it's a sort of throwback to those kinds of films. Um, all, uh, as well, John Sayles, who he also co-wrote the screenplay, who does also show up as a corner in this film. I guess. The one scene that really makes me laugh is when that one female reporter goes to the colony, if you will, mm-hmm. and looking th- is looking through the files. Doing everything wrong. Doing yeah. everything wrong. <laughs> and she's like, well, where's this, you know, where's this file? And all of a sudden you see this werewolf hand give the file down to her. Yes. <laughs> and, and she looks up and is like, wah, wah, wah. And there's a the thing, how, yeah. growling at her. <laughs> like, that's, that, that to me, that, that's done for fun. The Again, that's a weird sequence. The werewolf looks great, by the way. Um, I, I, I like it, especially yeah. the head. But um, you don't expect to see a werewolf at that point in the movie. You know you're going to see a werewolf. Yeah. And you know the scene's gone on long enough, and this woman's been just, like we say, doing everything wrong. Putting herself in harm's way. Yeah. But you don't expect that to happen. So I didn't laugh. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, I, I laughed. <laughs> um, I, the stuff that I laughed at, I think, was a little bit less intentional yeah I think that the uh, the sort of spiritual the female spiritual guru who has her boobs hanging out of her shirt through most of the movie and enjoys skinning rabbits and is uh, you know I think tasked to seduce and change Dee Wallace's husband yeah uh I don't know there was something about her not for a second did I believe her she did not seem like real as a wolf or not as a wolf I just didn't feel like it played but she was taking it very seriously and yeah. that was making me laugh <laughs> yeah no I agree I agree she the howling has not aged well in, in, in my humble opinion out of all the films and I like and some of these films are from the 80s we've got the most of these films are from the 80s and I think of them this one has the most dog-eared as far as how yeah. it's aged yeah no it it, 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 it it's warts really really do sh- sh- kind of show um, so much so that the original writer of the novel, The Howling, I played. I think the, the writer was Gary uh, Bradner. Mm-hmm. When he first saw it, was completely disgusted by it because mm-hmm. it was not his book. So All that was there was modern vampires. That's the only conceit that they took. Yeah, 
Apparently, so one of the sequels, Howling is, Four, yeah. is they decided to re, re actually tackle the novel. Actually tackle the novel. Yeah. I have not seen it, mm-hmm. um, but apparently, Howling Four um, is probably very close to the novels from what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen two and three, <laughs> and that's where I stopped because they were like just terrible. I, yeah, I, I'm sure I saw Howling 2 at some point in my life, maybe mm-hmm. another I one, but uh, there's no, it made zero impression on me, you know, yeah. uh, and I didn't love Howling enough to explore, you know, <laughs> the sequels. Well, I'm being pretty hard on it. I don't think it's out and out terrible. No. Uh, and like I said, there's a couple of decent transformation sequences. Yeah. Um, the werewolves look good. Um, I think that we put a spoiler warning at the top of the show, so mm-hmm. we can talk about anything. Like, I usually don't like to give away the very, very end of the movie. Yeah. But there is something about <laughs> this this reveal at the end of the movie, which I think could have been really awesome. Yeah. And for some reason, isn't. Yeah. Um, D. Wallace, as we said, is a journalist, and she was going to this camp to actually get better. It turns out everybody, everybody at the yeah. camp is werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they put her in the camp because she'd seen a werewolf, and they wanted to bring her into the fold, presumably to keep their secret. Yeah. Um, but it backfires on them, and yeah. she ends up getting back into her studio yeah. and telling everybody that werewolves exist. Yeah. She knows they won't believe her if she yeah. says it. Yeah. So she changes into a werewolf. Well, <laughs> she, she changes into, into an adorable werewolf. I don't a even the cutest want, little wooja puppy dog. I don't even want to call it a werewolf. It's a fucking Yorkshire Terrier she turns into. And like I, I know, I watched a little making of on my DVD, and uh, yeah. Dee Wallace talks about how she thought that her werewolf should be different. It yeah. should look different. Yeah. And maybe even that is a conceit. Is true. Maybe she should look different. But she shouldn't have looked like that. No, she looks she like... She turned into a Muppet. It she became did. funny. Yeah. And then the credits rolled. Yeah. And it was the wrong note yeah. to end the movie on. The, the ending does hurt the movie. Um, I, I think little signals that that Joe Dante, I think, almost was the wrong director for this, was he also cast actors like Slim Pickens as as one of the werewolves. You know, the, the, the sheriff, if you will. Yeah. He's known for like Blazing Saddles and... Dr. Strangelove, how I love to learn the bomb. Yeah. And uh, David Carradine. Yeah. Uh, um, both of them that have very sort of specific types and very yeah. specific performances. I, I um, didn't bother me as much because I liked how nice he was. I liked like what a, what a small town sort of yeah. sheriff vibe he had where he just was, you know, scruffling yeah. everybody's hair and making sure everyone was having a great old day. Yeah. But come not fall, I'm going to eat your guts. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, yeah. I like that, you know, disjunction there. But Yeah. No, I mean, one thing that I like about Joe Dante pictures is he uses a lot of the same actors. I mean, we've got Kevin McCarthy, who he used in Piranha. He shows up. Yes, yeah, from the original Body Snatchers. Yes, also Robert Picardo. Um, he plays uh, Eddie the Killer in, in The Howling. Right. But if you also watch Inner Space, when's the last time you saw Inner Space? Oh my god. It was the 1900s at least. Yeah, well, he plays the cowboy, and that's a Joe Dante movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something that made I kind of forgot Inner Space existed. It's good. Thank you. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's still 80s, but it's good. Uh, also, Dennis Dugan, he used more than once, and he would, then went on to a, a pretty successful f- film career as a director, although he made a lot of movie 
a lot of movies with Adam Sandler, so maybe we'll Well, not... he's got that one actor who's his lucky charm, right? Uh, What's his name? And he shows up as that bookstore owner. Yeah, he's in the bookstore owner. He's in both of the Gremlins movies. Yeah. I can't remember the actor's name right now. I can splice that in here. Yes. Yes, the actor who uh, Lee and I are struggling to remember there is named Dick Miller. He's been around for a long, long time. Um, he was in some Roger Corman classics like uh, Little Shop of Horrors and famously played a character named Walter Paisley in a movie called A Bucket of Blood. A lot of his subsequent roles uh, in other films, be them small, credited or uncredited, he has played a fellow named Walter Paisley, all a nod to this Bucket of Blood movie. Anyway, yeah, you can see him in all of Dante's films except for one in which he was edited out of, and you can see him in literally hundreds of other titles. That's who that was, and he's good in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and I, I respect uh, directors who have a little company of actors that they like to use, yeah. but I don't think it should be to the default of the film. Yeah. Like, he actually said, uh, Dante said, that when he decides he's going to do a movie, mm -hmm. he has to find a part for, this, for his friends, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, do you? No, you don't. you got to cast the people that are right for the part. Yeah. If you got to sort of shoehorn your friends into the picture, it, it could hurt you. I don't think it, anything stood out as really awful in that respect in this movie. But Yeah. Another thing that really took me out of this movie was the cheesy organ music. Um, I know, once again, that's a throwback to the whole 1950s, I was a teenage werewolf kind of thing. I would have almost taken 80s synth. I don't know. There was something about it that just didn't seem to be... Again, it seemed to belong to a different movie. It did. It did. Like I said, it just it, it threw me off. And at, at, at this point, I, I kind of rolled my eyes because it's quite prevalent throughout the film. Right. You know, go with the whole 80s synth, that that would have worked for me. At least we would have just said, okay, it was the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was just a strange choice. Yeah. Um, it sounds like we're being pretty harsh on the howling, and I do think it's not anywhere near the strongest of this bunch of movies, but I don't think it's horrible. I think no. it's an interesting timepiece. Again, you have to be prepared for the 80s-ness. I think there's about a, uh, this ranks about a 9 on cheesy 80s yeah. <laughs> scale, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's another werewolf movie. They they spent some time on the werewolf effects. Those sequences do the job they well do. enough. They do. Um it's a B-Werewolf movie, but I think it might be a little over-respected. You and I seem to be in the minority. People like this movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I, I used to defend The Howling, and but then, I guess, watching it this time, I really began to see a lot of the flaws that I kind of went, huh. And I love Joe Dante. I do. Like, I will defend Joe Dante. I'm a lover of Piranha. I'm a lover of Inner Space. Explorers, all of them. Mm -hmm. Even that his, his new movie, The Hole, it's really good. Mm -hmm. The howling made me go, hmm. The howling. Things that make you go, hmm. Anything else you want to say about the howling? No, that's pretty much it. All right. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. Who looked at it, me? Nobody knew who or what was responsible. Come on. 
they only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. So coming up in rank and review, hopefully, in the next few episodes or so, I'm going to do an entire entire episode dedicated to Stephen King. Mm. Um, and uh, this last movie we're reviewing is called Silver Bullet, which is based on a novella called Cycle of the Werewolf by, by Mr. King. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's an interesting movie. Uh, <laughs> It, it's very faithful to Stephen King's work, which stands yeah. to reason because it was adapted for the screen by Stephen, Stephen King. King. Yep. The thing is, as much as I am a fan of Stephen King, and I do like a lot of his books, and I think yeah. he's got a rich imagination, which I like to go visit again and again, yep. having Stephen King as your screenplay writer is not always a good thing. No, it's In not. fact, I would say it is often a bad thing. Um, in this case, however, I think it works. Um, it does and it doesn't, and you know, Silver Silver Bullet sort of has both both what works with a Stephen King movie and what doesn't work with a Stephen King movie. One thing that I think you'll agree on is Stephen King. A lot of times, his characters they are really cookie cutter, black and white, black and white. They're super good or super bad, yeah. and very little in between. Yeah, and you never really get that emotionally invested with a lot of his stories because of it. Uh, and Silver Bullet, it, it, you know, is a prime example of that. Once again, it's a traditional monster movie, which I love. Um, I guess the only character that has any sort of dimension to it is the Gary Busey character, Uncle Red. Hmm. Um, and, I mean, because he's a drunkard, he's, uh, you know, he's got a little bit of badness to him, but he's also a sweet guy who eventually does believe his niece and nephew. He's the only character that really has any kind of depth to him and he's the one that I enjoy the most out of Silver Bullet I think he's definitely the, the biggest performance and the, the brightest yeah. light as yeah. far as the acting in, yeah. and the characterizations in the film yeah. but I think I would probably disagree with you that, that he was the only bright light as far as the, the cast um, I'm going I'm having a terrible time Megan Follows Megan Follows plays the older sister and Corey Haim is the little boy in the wheelchair yeah uh who, he's a decent actor as a little kid, uh, but is not very convincing when he is moving out of his wheelchair into other places yeah. than that he doesn't have the use of his legs. Yeah. Um, but this is a kid who's very vulnerable, who's very, you know, uh, his sister's very put upon because she always has to look after her little brother. Yeah. And uh, they have kind of a almost parent-teacher relationship, or a student-teacher relationship with their parents, and he has almost a father-son relationship with his uncle. Yeah. But uh, Terry O'Quinn also shows up in this movie. A lot yeah. of people know him as Locke yes. from Lost. He's also the stepfather. The stepfather. stepfather from the first couple of stepfather movies, yeah. if that is your <laughs> poison of choice. Yeah. Um, um, I, I liked him uh, in the movie. I, I, maybe I wouldn't have liked him as much if I wasn't such a fan of the actor, but yeah. he was one of the few characters who seemed to be doing things right. Yeah. <laughs> in the, um, people just, you know, the Stephen King small town folk, like you say, yeah. either utterly refuse to believe anything that our heroes say yeah. or take him completely at his word. Yeah. Either extreme is kind of a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the 
characters at the bar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a, a famous the, sequence. The red shirts of the film, yeah, if you will. Where a bunch of the rednecks decide to go out and take care of this wolf problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, uh, Lawrence Tierney, uh, who most people know from Reservoir Dogs, yes. uh, is sort of this gruff bartender who has this uh, the baseball peace, bat, peace the peacemaker. <laughs> and uh, in an, a, a, a funny and yet strange and yet a sequence that works, yeah. the werewolf actually uses the bat on somebody. Yeah, see, I mean, that scene, I just, I can't stop laughing when I watch that scene. I mean, it But it's entertaining. Off. It's wall to wall entertaining. It is, but you've got, once again, you know, a man in a rubber suit with a hand grabbing a baseball hat going, whoops. Yeah. I think that's, for me, the weak point of the movie, actually, yeah. is some of the werewolf effects are not at all convincing. Yeah. There's a sequence where our hero, the little boy in the wheelchair, shoots a firecracker at the wolf early in the screen, in the film yeah. and it gets hit in the eye. And this is a big hint to us, so if we see anybody with a bandage on their eye, yeah. we, we gotta keep an eye out for this. Yeah. Uh, not for a frame of that sequence does that wolf look even remotely convincing. Yeah, I know. And I think it's actually a good compliment to the rest of the movie and the stuff around it that we kept going with the movie uh, uh, because that was one of the first times we got a good look at the creature and it was not good <laughs> no I mean I, once again like that's it suffers for a man in a rubber outfit what's it, it, Carlo Rimbaldi is the guy who did these special effects he was also he's credited as doing you know E.T. oh yeah um the special effects in Silver Bullet, they, they really are night and day because that attack with the girl who tries to kill herself with the pills mm -hmm. that attack is done quite well and it's very brutal. The guy that gets decapitated at the train station at the yeah. beginning of the movie. Well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, so I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah. But when we do see that werewolf, especially that firecracker sequence, mm -hmm. and there's another point where it's clearly a man in, a, in an outfit, it, it, it takes you out of it. Yeah. It really does. Um, the humor in Silver Bullet takes me out of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's hard and that's one thing I, I was sort of thinking about with, with, with werewolf movies. It, it is hard to do a good werewolf movie. It can you have be done. to commit to taking it seriously. You do. You really do. And, uh, you know, once you start winking, then it's easy to keep on winking. Then it's yeah. easy to get to a little more broad comedy. Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever tips over into comedy. No. But uh, I, I think that there's enough just weird choices that it kind of takes a little bit away from the horror. Which is strange because American Werewolf in London is also very much a comedy that than it is a horror film. Mm -hmm. It's somehow, and it's and it, like it is all over the map. You've got yeah. weird dream sequences, you've got some some humor that you're, you're laughing, and it's also a scary film. I know it didn't quite scare you, but it is... It's interesting, too, now that I think about all these films, all, a lot of them have dream sequences in them as well. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting sort of tool that they use in this werewolf milieu. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I usually have issues with horror movies where little kids are the main characters. I just have a hard time getting scared for Megan Follows and, and, yeah. and Corey Feldman. I just... Uh, nothing in me believes that any harm will come to either of them. Yeah. So then the question is... Will their uncle die? It was basically the only question. Yeah. But Stephen King has no problem icing kids. Right? Yeah. In fact, a kid gets killed in it the movie. It does, the one, his best friend. Yeah. Um, and again, you don't typically see that, uh, at least in movies. If you read yeah. Stephen King, you'll see that a lot. Yeah. He has no problem killing kids in his yeah. books. Um, but uh, yeah, even though they killed that kid, that, that pastiche of horror movies still stands firm, is it? Typically, if the main characters are kids, 
the jeopardy goes down for me because yeah. so few films have the balls to kill children. Until they honestly do that big budget adaptation of it, I don't think we're going to see it. <laughs> no. Another thing that took me out of uh, Silver Bullet was the narration by Megan Follows. Yeah. Um, it's Why pre- is she telling the story? Yeah. It's pretty cheesy. Um, it, it's hard doing narration with a film. It, 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 does, it can work. You know, it, 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 I've seen movies where it does work. Yeah. But in Silver Bullet, it doesn't. You don't need it. It doesn't seem like it's her story to tell, either, no. in a lot of ways. I don't know why they chose to put it through her eyes. It's yeah. certainly not the way they do it in the book. No. But it's a choice of the film. And yeah, her overlaid narration and the sort of sweet, flowery score that they have for it yeah. makes it feel like almost like a Sunday night Disney special or something yeah. like that. Like, and then people she, get their heads ripped off. <laughs> yeah, even how she, you know it ends the film, it, it, it just sort of like, it, it kerplunks uh, because of her narration at the end. Yeah. And then it was over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love you. What, what's the Corey Hing character's name again? Danny, or? Danny, I think that's right. Oh, let me see here what we got. Uh, Wheelchair-bound 13-year-old boy. <laughs> They're not going to tell us. They're not going to tell us. Marty. 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 Yes, I love you, I Marty. Love you, Marty. Yeah, no. no. I love you, Uncle. <laughs> Your yeah, uncle yeah. kind of took a couple for the team. Yeah, and the uncle goes through a lot, actually. <laughs> His pride is taking a beating. Again, yeah, it would make sense if the kid in the wheel, Marty, was the main character, or yeah. if the uncle was the main character, or how about this one for a wrinkle? The priest. Yes. Um, there was there was a lot of more obvious choices to make than making follows. I don't think this is a horrible movie. No. And I, I think that like if you if you in the mood for a werewolf movie, this yeah. is definitely one of them, and yeah. it definitely works. And uh, it has no problem killing off characters that you like. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot of time to know these people. You get to know the town, yeah. and uh, a sizable bite is taken out of it by this wolf. Yep. It's yep. reasonably exciting. I think the worst special effects are pretty much over with after the first forty minutes. Yeah. And uh, you can have a good time with them. This is a solid but not amazing popcorn yep. horror movie. I guess the one thing that. Re- that kind of hurts for also Silver Bullet and this is more just the choice of casting and, and how the director d- decided to go with it was and Julian had never seen this film okay. and we're watching it and the second the priest shows up she goes that's the werewolf right there right. and it is I mean really short of having a big sign saying I am the werewolf I am the werewolf it's not we, a big mystery to the film no no so when the dream sequence happens in the middle of the film to reveal that he is the werewolf we are not surprised. Yeah. Even a 13-year-old child... Why are we spending time with this character? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's part of the, part of what a lot of werewolf movies do is, is who is the werewolf? That There's a mystery element to it. And the mystery is not very good with this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, again, there's no gotcha moment. There's no, like, yeah. there's no mystery really to be solved. I Like you say, you, you know who the bad guy is. And there are a lot of, like, mini good and bad guys throughout the movie, too. Like yeah, there's that one redneck who has to go and get this werewolf. And, yeah, uh, we talked about it before, the sequence with all the rednecks in that fog bank that's, yeah. like, uh, up. They're all, like, nipple-deep in fog. They can't see anything. And it's it's almost like a, a series of shark attacks are happening. People just get sucked into the fog. And, yeah. Um, by all means, check out Silver Bullet if you're looking for... A way to kill 95 minutes on a, on a you can, summer you night. Can do you worse. can do a lot worse. You can do a lot worse.
So there it was, six werewolf movies ranked, which means it is now Lee Beckman's time to rank and review these six movies. I'm actually curious to see how you rank them. I guess I already know we're not going to be going six for six, but uh, yeah. by all means, please let me know how did it come well, out. Well, I'm going to go from worst to best. That's the way to do it. All right, let me see here. I'm going to... As much as I love Joe Dante, I'm going to put The Howling as number six. Okay. Uh, I, I think it, his style of humor kind of hurts the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the man in a rubber outfit kind of takes me out of it. I think having casting certain actors like Slim Pickens... Worked I, against it a little? I, I, I can't take it seriously. Right. I mean, and even that actor who play, who seduces Dee Wallace's husband, she's yeah. so over the top. Even the end. She's taking it seriously. Yeah. That's what's so funny about her. I don't know. There's something weird about that character. I like the howling, but out of out of all of them, I think it is the weakest. Right. Um, next up um, is is Silver Bullet. Once again, I like it, um, but once again, the narration kind of hurts it. Um, the man in the rubber outfit kind of kind of take me out of it. Um, I couldn't decide whether they were taking it seriously or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it also does you suffer from certain 80s things and I mean and it's also what hurts Stephen King's is a lot of his stock characters you know like they're not deep they are you know as you said either really really bad or really really good and in case in point the Everett McGill the second we see him we know he's the werewolf and he's evil <laughs> um, I this is where it gets interesting so Wolfen would be next as you said right? yes Wolfen um, I like Wolfen um, I think it's good. I, I, it's a good detective story. Um, I think the, the script, uh, especially the dialogue, is, is at point whip smart. It's not a werewolf movie. It's not. Mm-hmm. But I find the quality of the movie is superior, even for 80s. Like I said, it, you can make Wolfen today. Right. Uh, you know, update the special effects a little bit. But even the special effects, they're, they're still pretty it's good. No. no, it's just it's not a werewolf movie. That's the only thing. Yeah. So I would have to probably put Wolfen up there as, uh, I guess, what? Fourth. Fourth? Yeah. Number four. It hurts me to do this, but I'm going to have to put Dog Soldiers as number three. I love Dog Soldiers. It's a fun movie. It's funny. It's gory. It's action-y. The, you know, the, the platoon of men, if you will, uh, there's enough about them. There's still, there's enough there that they're, you know, they're characters. We all enjoy them. Um... It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Neil Marshall. I, he's yet to make a really terrible movie. It's there. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Like like I've seen Dog Soldiers five or six times. I would have to put it at number three, which brings me to Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps is really good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good werewolf movie. And this is not just us selling the praises of our Canadian. No, 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 no. This it, is a solid werewolf movie. It earns its stripes. If you like horror movies, you like dark comedies. Yeah. This should be on your list of things to do. <laughs> An interesting double feature would be this and Heather's. I find this yeah. and Heather's to be, you know, almost like it's holding hands, kind of going. Two of the darker teenage comedies you could ever come across. Although, again, I'd have, I'm uncomfortable calling it a comedy. I do think that Ginger Snaps is a horror movie. It is. No, I, I mean there are some funny things about it, yeah. but it, it's and it's a nasty. And it's nasty. Yeah. Like I said, that the sequence where Ginger gets bit, mm-hmm. and even some other scenes. Um, they're they're playing for keeps, um, and I love the, the sort of sort of uh, take on suburban you know white suburban neighborhoods that Ginger Snaps is clearly making fun of. Yeah, um, it's almost like it's you know it's, t- it's slapping John Hughes in the face a little bit. Right. 
uh, the films that he used to make in the 80s. Um, it's, it, it's also, like, it's 90-some minutes long. It's not a long it movie. It gets the job done. It it's does. It's, it, it, there's not a lot of meat on this bone. Yeah. There's, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing about Ginger Snaps. It's a very unique beast. Which, I might have recast a couple of small bit players, but other than that, yeah. You know, which brings me to the granddaddy of them all. Of course. American Werewolf of London. Um, transform, transformation from the uh, scene aside, which is like, it's hasn't been rivaled. No. Hollywood has tried and tried again. They even hired Rick Baker to do The Wolfman, and it, it, it failed because um, they used CGI. This movie... If you look at it, it should not work. It should not work. The humor is like all over the place. Yeah. But it does, and it's. I think it's a credit to John Landis because he wrote a pretty smart screenplay. Um, he cast it extremely well with Griffin Dunn and David Naughton, who I, I haven't seen David Naughton in anything really since. Yeah. Have you? Uh, here and there, he shows up. But yeah. I, I, he, I don't remember him. And yeah. like he, he was the central character in this movie. And I do, like I say, he gives a really good performance. Yeah. He's also required to do a lot of his performance naked, which yeah. requires you know a little you know personal fortitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jenny Agutter is is like, besides being incredibly gorgeous, she she's quite good. good I actress, mean, yeah. yeah, all the actors show up in this movie. Yeah. Um, the special effects by Rick Baker. I, it's I'm trying to think. I've yet to see anything rival it. Like it's even like the wolf, how it's done. That 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 weird Nazi dream sequence is really cool. It's yeah. really well made. Um, that that scene in the tube where the wolf chased that guy. That's I mean to me that's still scary. That that, that long shot of him going up the escalator, right. and you see that wolf coming into the shot. Yeah, that 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 scared me as a kid. American Werewolf to me is probably one of my favorite horror movies ever. You know, it, it bounces to being number one, number two next to the thing in a lot of ways. Right. I've seen this. I, 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 to be perfectly honest, I've I don't know how many times I've seen it, but I know at least I see it once every two years. Yeah. Um, no one saw this movie coming when it came out. Everyone thought they were getting a comedy, and they weren't quite ready for it. And I sort of also love that this movie is still full of surprises. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention in the review mm-hmm. that I think needs to be recognized mm-hmm. is that weird synthy wolf howl. Yes. That howl that the yeah. wolf makes. Yes. It doesn't sound like an animal. It doesn't really sound like a synth. It sounds somewhere in between. Uh, but it's perfect. And I, I, like, I don't know why it's so perfect for me, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like that sound effect would have only come up with if, if that movie was made at that precise time. Yes. Yeah. The stars aligned for that yeah. movie. No, <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it's one of those films that is lightning in a bottle. Yeah. It has no business being as good as it is. And that's why it's number one. It is really, it is, it is the granddaddy, it is the blueprint of modern day werewolf films. I have yet to see its rival some films have have come close, but it's never American Werewolf in London. And and I think most uh, cinephiles will agree when it comes to the werewolf genre, they don't even blink. It's like you know what American Werewolf. In That's the first one that came to mind. Yeah. Um, honestly, when I was making the the, the list of movies, again yeah. I hadn't seen Wolfen. That yeah. was the one movie that I didn't pull from my collection. It was just one of the movies that I've been meaning to get around to, and I saw yeah. no better chance than this. Yeah. This is going to be tough, dude, because we have a remarkably close list. Yeah. Where our list is so close that you know. Yeah. It it, it, it hurts me. It does. But um, yeah. there it is. Um, I put Wolfen at the bottom. 
Yeah. Um, just because this is a list of werewolf movies. Yeah. Uh, and again, I take personal responsibility for that. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I get it. I, I get it. I mean, I, it, like, it, it wants to be a werewolf movie. It's yeah. advertised almost like a werewolf. It's called Wolfen. It's yeah. understandable. Yeah. But as I said earlier, as I was watching it, uh, you know, I was getting about the three-quarter mark, and I kind of went, this is not a werewolf movie. I think we should still do it. Yeah. But, you know, that was, it was going to segue into what makes a werewolf movie, and it, by definition, it's not. It works enough. It's a good enough thriller. It's a decent enough procedural. Yeah. I, I don't know how much of a... Well, it's a little bit of a horror movie, but, like, I don't know. It, it, it didn't... It was the odd one out of this list, and for mm-hmm. me, it just it, it landed at the bottom. Love the cast, especially, yeah. like, Albert Finney. Yeah. And like I was saying, this is not me saying, this movie sucks. Yeah. This is me saying, this is... On this list of movies, this is where it falls for me. Yeah. I think you're going to find the rest of the list is remarkably similar. Right? Yeah. Number five, The Howling. Yeah. A lot of creaks and moans, good special effects. Yeah. I've always wanted to put things into D. Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you say it so romantically. <laughs> well, she's in her 60s now. I, I need hot. I need 80s D. Wallace. Still hot. <laughs> no, uh... She's a solid actress. Yeah, um, no, she's not, <laughs> we're completely objectifying her. But yeah. she, she's, she's a very good actress. Watch Cujo again. She's really good. We're going to talk about Cujo when we talk about Stephen King. Yeah. And I'm going to argue, I mean, I don't get to give the awards, but I'm going to argue that she gives a better performance in Cujo yeah. than Kathy Bates gives in Misery. Okay. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, the Howling is an interesting movie, but I yeah. think it's more interesting than good. Yeah. But I think if you have an appetite for these types of movies, it yeah. should be on your list of things to get to. You know? I mean, at some point when I start showing my daughter horror films, we will come across The Howling. Yeah. I mean, it's it's earned enough stripes that at some point it needs to be seen. It just hasn't aged as well as uh, other films in this list have. Uh, number four for me would be Silver Bullet. Uh, again, yeah. uh, it's a fairly familiar story. Uh, Stephen King certainly doesn't reinvent the wheel. He basically yeah. takes all of the pre-established rules of werewolves and employs them. Um, the characters are familiar. The special effects and the... I think another reason why I chose a lot of the 80s ones is, again, yeah. no CGI. Yeah, I agree. Especially with these werewolf movies. Yeah. I don't know. CGI just kills it for me. It, 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 it doesn't make it look real. Yeah. And that was one thing. I mean... I don't hate that than the the modern Wolfman, the one with Nisi del Toro. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it as as, a, as other people do, and there's some really good sequence in it. But this, you can tell when it's CGI yeah. and when it's practical. Yeah. Uh, number three, Dog Soldiers. Yeah. Again, uh, it's an uh, aggressively impressive debut. You can tell yeah. he doesn't have a lot of money, and that he stretched every cent to, to its maximum capacity. Yeah. Great action, great comedy, but. Uh, the balance is good enough that one never usurps the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dog Soldiers is solid. Um, we don't get the transformation sequence, and we don't no. get to know the werewolves, and yeah. if that's what you're looking for, I would say that you're not going to get that here. Yeah. But if you're looking for a fun, scary, action-packed werewolf movie, yeah, you should watch Dog Soldiers. Yeah, as I said, Dog Soldiers plays against all the, I guess, stereotypes or the rules of what makes a werewolf movie. It throws it out the window. Yeah. But it's still very much a werewolf movie. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and uh, that's why it ranks higher than Silver Bullet, too. Like yeah. I say, he did some different stuff with it. Yeah, he did. Uh, number two, Ginger Snaps. Yeah. 
Of course. I, I mean, uh, I love I love the central performances, especially those yeah. two sisters are fantastic. Uh, there are two sequels to Ginger Snaps, and they are diminishing returns. I can't really necessarily endorse them unless yeah. you're super hardcore into the werewolves. But Ginger Snaps, if you like horror movies, you should watch it. If you like werewolves, you should watch it. And yeah, just to finish off the ranking and reviewing, of course. Yeah. American Werewolf in London is the best of these movies. And I think that it's easily the most crowd-pleasing of these movies. Yeah. I think that uh, of all of them, this is the surest bet to entertain yeah. uh, people across the board. Um, again, love the cast. The special effects are unbeatable as far as the transformation scenes. Yeah. The transformation scene is so good I almost don't want to see a better one. Maybe that's part of its power. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think, I think they brought that pain thing to the board. I think that we've seen people change into werewolves a lot of times before, but we've yeah. never seen it be this physical brutal thing. And, uh, yeah. On top of that, you know, jokes and yeah, and boobs and yeah. Uh, hilarious porn movie dialogue and yeah, Griffin Dunn with those face pole falling off. I mean, there's very little not to like about American Werewolf in London. Uh, yeah, and so it is number one. Yeah, um, one thing I gotta say is the next person who does sort of tackle werewolf movie, and I think you hit on it with your ranking here. They gotta bring something new to it. They really do. It's, it's, which is why I love Dog Soldiers. They brought new stuff to it. But the next person who's going to make a really good werewolf movie is going to have to do something new. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it needs to go. And I look forward to seeing it. Mm-hmm. Onto the Jerry's. Onto the Jerry's. My the most uh, obvious n- thing that we can do with the Werewolf Collection is, of course, the best transformation. Mm-hmm. I have four nominations for you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is Ginger Snaps. Mm-hmm. Where you get the transformation in the back of the van and a lot of sort of slow bits of transformation throughout she, the movie. Her face. It her is tail. A, it is a slow, uh, slow crawl to slow her death. Slow reveals. Yep. Well done, I think, for the most part, especially oh, yeah. when you consider the budget. Yep. Um, there's some transformation sequences in Silver Bullet. Yep. As we are, we argued the first time we see the werewolf, the werewolf itself doesn't look that great, but the transformations are, are, are not bad. They're impressive. Um, the Howling, famously, one of the main characters, had a bunch of condoms taped to his face underneath the latex. That's and they, true. They pressurized air into the condoms to make his face balloon out. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, Rob Bottin, how inventive. <laughs> My man. And, of course, the Academy Award-winning special effects from the American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems like the gimme, but uh, these are not my Jerry Awards. These are yours. What wins the award for Best Transformation? Well, American Werewolf in London. And, of course, I will agree, but I do think that all of those transformations are impressive. But uh, American Werewolf, you know, they established the uh, the award for it, 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 and they did so for a reason. I mean, it, it, it set a standard that, even to this day, has yet to be matched. Um, and this was 1981? Uh, okay, moving on to best performances. Um, we have double nomination from Ginger Snaps for The Sisters, played by Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins. Yeah. They both did fantastic jobs. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a lifelong love for Griffin Dunn. Yeah, because of his performance in American Werewolf in London. Yeah, he is so likable, and his, he's got, in a lot of ways, even though he's not the main character, he's kind of got the best part, I think, in that movie. Mm. Um, 
my uh, 80s crush d wallace gets a nod uh yeah, from me no. for uh, howling i think she did a pretty good job and she plays it completely straight and in a movie as ridiculous as the howling uh, that's not easy no it's not although I, I will say this that she got robbed for a completely different film yeah kujo yeah she's amazing in kujo yep um and then gary Busey, who uh is the the brightest light i think in the cast of, of Silver Bullet. Yeah, uh, he's, he's got the flashier character, too. He does. He's he's doing it well, and I believe he was hot off his Oscar for Buddy Holly. Uh, well, who wins, do you think, for Best Performance? Or is uh, there anybody else you want to add to that? No, I, I, I think, going through the list here, um, um, it's hard It's hard to pass on Gary Busey, because the Uncle Ray character is such a flawed character. Uh, and, uh, and it's such a really good performance by Busey. Um the two sisters in Ginger Snaps make that movie. They really, really do. You believe both their journeys. You believe their performances. You, be, you believe that they love each other. It's true. If they'd have bitched out that casting, if, if, if we had a weak actress, if they hired for looks and over talent, yeah. the, the movie would not have worked. No, and really at the heart of that movie is the love uh, the, 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 a love story between the two sisters. And not romantic love, but you know, very much love. love. And... Um, I think Ginger's definitely the flashier role, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's the sort of you know fall from grace uh, type type of, type of performance. She's she's really good, um, but I'm going to be a little buck the trend a little bit and say Emily Perkins. Bridget's you're going to give it to her um, just because it's a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, she still gets some big emotional beats. It's the tougher role of the two in yeah. a lot of ways. She doesn't have the flashy sort of. You know the prosthetics and the you know the big sexy moments in the no, movie. No, no, she, she d- sort of got her back to the wall the whole time. Yeah, um, but she remains compelling throughout. So yeah, good for her. Yeah, no, um, like, like I said, it's. Um, I won't fight you on that win. I'm like I say, I'm I I, I love me some Griffin Dunn, but yeah. uh, but I totally get it. Ellie Perkins, bravo! Um, I thought you did really well. Um, and Canadian a- and Canadian. Uh, what the fuck moments. Yeah. The moments that compelled you to bring some what the fuck. Yeah. And to go right into Ginger Snaps again, I think we got a couple from there. Yeah. Um, there's the bits with Ginger's tail, both <laughs> the discovery of it and her attempt to sever it. Yep. And uh, there's a character who is wounded by Ginger who ends up urinating blood into a urinal in this bizarre, not completely well executed but still effective scene yeah um so there's some nominations for ginger snaps i wanted to nominate the dream sequence in american world in london there's a few of them um there's one where he's chasing a deer down naked and pulls its head off and starts eating it yeah and the one that i'm thinking of here is where he dreams that he's at home with his family and watching the muppet show and a bunch of nazi werewolves werewolves and shit come breaking through the door and shooting and killing and slashing throats yeah just crazy sequence yeah um and it's sort of got the the double fake ending out for yes. you is the dream over no nope. not quite yeah yeah uh so i don't want to do that uh there's a sequence in dog soldiers where sean pertwee who has had suffered a gaping stomach wound is having a tug of war with his intestines and a friendly dog. Not a werewolf, just a regular household pet <laughs> dog. dog. And it's a, a, a strange and brutal addition to an already very strange and very brutal werewolf movie. Yes, so. uh, you, you also forgot to mention that as this is going on, werewolves are trying to smash through yeah, the front door. This is just another issue to deal with in the midst of all this chaos. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
And we also discussed that sequence in, in Howling, probably the most famous attack sequence in the Howling, yeah. where the woman's looking through the filing cabinet and all of a sudden this big furry <laughs> werewolf hand <laughs> comes into screen handing her the file that she was looking for and yep. then proceeds to kill the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all pretty good what the fuck moments, but uh, what do you think is going to earn the Jerry Award? Well, this might be the first in the Jerry's, but I'm going to call a tie. All right, bring it. Um, well, the. The first tie, the first winner, if you will, is the dream sequence in American Werewolf in London, just because it really does come out of nowhere. This is the Nazi werewolf sequence. Yeah. Um, it, Like I said, it does come out of nowhere. There's the, there's three beats where, is this dream over? No, no, it's not. No, is it over again? No, 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 there it is. It is extremely gory. We We don't... I don't quite understand why the werewolves are Nazis. I mean, I know either the family's Jewish. I guess this is, you know, a whole nightmare. But I just think it just—it has that weird dream logic. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense when you're having the dream, but when you look back on it, you're like, what the hell was that about? Well, really, yeah. No, it doesn't advance the story in really in any way, shape, or form, but yet it's still there. And it is, you know, it, or in an already insane movie, it does up the insanity quite a bit. So that is... What I call the first tie. The second tie is the dog pulling, dog gut pulling scene yes. in Dog Soldiers. That that essentially is the punchline for the entire scene. Yeah, um, I don't care how much you like that dog. I don't suffer a tug of war. I kill that dog. Yeah, if it's chewing on my guts. Yeah, there's a there's a firefight going on in the background, and I want to stay in the game as long as I can. Yeah, no, I'm not going to wrestle my intestines with this dog. I'm yeah. going to fucking shoot it. Yeah, no. And the first time I saw it, I mean, and I'm a dog person. Oh yeah, I no. You were, you were talking to a person who rescues animals for, for a living. living. That's right. But I agree with Larry here that, you know, if were werewolves are kind of bursting through through the door and you're laying to the side with your guts dangling out and, and a certain canine comes at it and tries to steal at it like a, you know... Stealing a snack off the supper table. A string of sausages. <laughs> that dog's at least getting kicked. And it was... It's a very black comedy very funny scene to a very tense and exciting scene yeah. so and anybody who hasn't seen dog soldiers at this point after hearing about that totally yeah. wants to watch it. yeah no it's so like i said there's a tie there's two what the f moments that deserve equal congratulations yeah, we accept it and it is the first in jerry's that we've had a tie so well done damn um let's move on here mm -hmm. uh best death um, we have the the hunters, the whole hunting party in Silver Bullet yeah. that enter the fog bank. And uh, my personal favorite is the peacemaker baseball bat smashing repeatedly into some guy. But yeah. we lose about a half a dozen people in a three-minute sequence yeah. there. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, uh, the drug dealer uh, who's helping out... Uh, the drug yes. dealer who was helping out Bridget yes. in uh, Ginger Snaps, who uh, we really like and who's at first wounded by the wolf and we think he's going to change, but yeah. uh, then the wolf decides, no, she doesn't want another werewolf around and yeah. damn near bites his head off. Yeah. Ugly. Um, the character of Spoon uh, from Dog Soldiers, who once they've run out of bullets and run out of boiling water and run out of things to throw at them, attempts to fight with his bare hands a nine foot tall werewolf yeah and uh he doesn't win the fight no but spoon has spew it <laughs> yes he does <laughs> to quote the very awful movie legends of the fall it, it was, was a, a good, good death, death. Yes. <laughs> yes and going back to my boy griffin dunn uh from the opening sequence in american Werewolf in london um uh, 
Yeah, that is the point where he dies, but happily yeah. we still have a lot more Griffin done to look forward to in yeah. the movie. But uh, it's a pretty horrifying death. Uh, um, stop the presses for one second. Stop mm-hmm. the presses. Right. I am going to add a nomination. Bring it. Um, I am going to actually, it's more of a sequence than, and it's not really just one death, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, Piccade- the Piccadilly uh, Square so, sequence yeah. is basically where numerous people meet their end, especially the police chief at the beginning it loses his head, yeah. if you will. And the whole bus sequence where people fall from the vehicles and get and heads get smushed by other vehicles. Actually, I believe the director himself, John Landis, gets thrown through a pane of glass yes, in that sequence. I do believe so. Um, while the the hound of hell is running through the streets, um, I, I sort of figure there are many numerous good deaths that are quite... I thought it was a nice touch that too. It had tried to bite at a car wheel as it was driving by, just yeah. like any other <laughs> dog yes. would. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll accept that nomination. So, but uh, what's going to win it? Um, this is tough. Um, once again, there are so many painful deaths, <laughs> the, so many rip roaring. Oh my god, it hurts! It hurts. Um, I am actually i since i added the nomination i'm also going to give it the award right. is the piccadilly square sequence where uh, numerous people meet their very end um like i said it starts off with the wolf bursting through the door i mean really the wolf is already eaten at that point he he eats an usher and then I think it's out of its element. The, the, the wolf doesn't have as much uh, planning skills as David did. Yeah. And when it finds itself in the middle of a modern city, I don't think it knows quite what to do, but yeah. just chomp at people that are nearby. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> cool stuff. I mean, John Landis is great at creating this sort of, you know, large slapstick Warren Brothers style violence. Uh, he used a lot of it in Blues Brothers. He uses it here once again in American Werewolf in London. And... The bus sequence when running over that that person's head is just, it's 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 gnarly. Indeed. I, um, I wanted to use Griffin Dunn because that is a, a painful, painful, painful way to die. But in the end, I used Piccadilly Square sequence in American Werewolf in London. Fair enough. And for our last nomination or our last uh, award to give out, and thank you so much, Mr. Beckman, for doing this. And I hope thank to you do questions. this again with you someday. Soon. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I, I'm have, excited. We have six movies here and six wolves. So what was the best lichen? What did you want the nomination to be called? Best uh, performance uh, by a lycanthrope? Uh, I think it was best performance by Lupin. But Lupin, okay. Uh, we have, of course, the same six movies. Wolfen, Silver Bullet, American Werewolf in London, The Howling, Dog Soldiers, and Ginger Snaps. Which had the best werewolf? Well, once again, um, this, is a, this is a tough category to choose one winner because so many good wolves gave their, you know, their all... And I, and I mean, really, it is, you're all winners to be nominated. Right. And, but since we have to choose a winner, um, I'm going to have to go again with the granddaddy of them all, American Werewolf in London. Uh, that, 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 that whole idea of having a hellhound-type werewolf walking in all fours, um, it's still, it's, 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 a, it's an iconic wolf. If you look at, uh, if you go to, these, to your local comic book stores and they've got like, the whole little mini statuettes, you will often see the werewolf, either Lon Chaney Wolfman or the werewolf from American Werewolf in London. It is a well-made wolf created by Rick Baker. Um, he's ruthless. He's cunning. Um, he's quick. <laughs> he's the American werewolf. He's the hellhound from yes, American Werewolf in London. We agree. We find bipedal were- werewolves to be less frightening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. 
Um, yeah, we got to howl at the moon we and do. Uh, we'll find, I don't have another, uh, section on werewolves yet, but there's certainly enough werewolf movies out there that maybe we could find one. But, uh, I look forward to having Mr. Beckman back with me. Again. Yes. We, hey, you know, I'm down, <laughs> you know, I'm down. You want to howl it out? So it was that episode 11 came to an end. If you would like to write me and let me know what I got right or what I got wrong, please feel free to do so at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. My name's Larry Parsons, and thank you so much for listening.